Amen. Can we lift our hands all over this house? Hallelujah. Not just lift your hands, but can you lift your voice? You can begin to call out to Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, can you lift your voice and begin to worship Jesus in this house? What a sweet touch of the Holy Ghost is here. God, we're thankful that you would take time to visit with your people. We're thankful, God, that your spirit is here. We're thankful, God, for what you're going to do because we understand, God, except you show up here today, we've gathered in vain. God, we are asking for a move of the Holy Ghost. Come on, if you believe it, why don't you put your hands together? Give God the praise and the glory and the honor. Hallelujah. Amen. It's so good to be with you today. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's open to 1 John chapter number 1. While you're turning there, I want to say how good it is to be back at ARC. Praise God. You never truly breathe a sigh of relief until you come back. Amen. And so it's good to be back with you, and I'm looking forward to what God is going to do in this service. Hallelujah. Um, I want to give honor to your pastor and to his wife and commend them for all that we see here and for what God is doing in Carson City. Amen. And we're believing with you that Carson is going to be a hub of revival for northern Nevada. Amen. Anybody believe that? Amen. We're excited to be here with you today. I'm thankful for my wife. Last time I came, my wife wasn't here. And so if I preach bad, I could excuse it. Amen. But I'm a better man with my wife. She's the greatest Christian I know. And I'm thankful for my two kids, my two daughters. Amen. And um, just to preface this, I was in the office praying a little before service start. And I asked my daughter, my oldest, I said, should dad preach long or should he, he preach short? And I already knew the answer that was coming. But to my surprise, she told me to preach for a long time. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And so if I take too long, it's not my fault. Praise God. Amen. First John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. I'm believing God for great things today. I want you to know that I've prayed. My family and I, we fasted. Amen. I've called out to God. I believe that someone today is going to leave here changed. Amen. I believe that somebody can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost today. And I'm just going to be honest. There's a lot of things to preach in the Word of God. There's a lot of things that are, amen, uh, um, um, enticing words of man's wisdom. There's things that can be profound. I've not come to be profound today. Amen. I, 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 amen. I've simply come for someone to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for someone's life to be changed. Because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. And I'm thankful that God filled me. I believe that God can fill somebody with the Holy Ghost before this service is over. First John chapter 1, starting at verse 1, we'll read through verse number 4. If you have it, say amen. Man, the Bible says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness. Everybody say witness. And show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father, with his Son Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be filled. Amen. And bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. With the help of the Holy Ghost, for the next few moments, I want to preach from the thought, the last eyewitness. The last eyewitness. Can you set your Bibles down one more time? Can you help me pray? Can you help me pray? Come on, let's pray until chains are broken in this place. Come on, would you lift your voice? If you're full of the Holy Ghost today, would you begin to pray in the Spirit? 
Could I have some elders that would begin to pray with me right now that God would have his way? God, we love you. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for what you're going to do in this place. You said where two or three are gathered in your name that you're there in the midst. God, your spirit is here. God, you're going to walk down every aisle. And I pray, God, that you would begin to move on hearts, begin to move on minds until the glorious light of the Holy Ghost begins to transform us. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. Come on, somebody. Come on, would you lift your voice? God, we need you. Come on, clap your hands, all you people, and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, amen. If you're going to help me preach, amen, you may be seated. If not, just remain standing. And if you're sitting next to someone who remains standing, amen, you probably should find a new seat. Praise God. Amen. The last eyewitness. Amen. This may be a bit of an unorthodox start for Easter, Easter Sunday sermon, but if you would allow me to, I'd like to take some time this afternoon to really paint a complete picture of what is transpiring here in our scripture text and in turn get us to where I feel the Holy Ghost is trying to take us today. And in order to truly appreciate the scope and the depth of the words that we read in our scripture text, uh, we really need to go back almost 60 years from the time in which these scriptures were wit written and walk through the life of John. Here you would find John the Beloved somewhere right around 30 years of age, a former disciple of John the Baptist, standing in a ship along with his brother James and his father Zebedee. It is here where he would receive the call to follow Jesus that would forever change his life. There was something about this man, Jesus, and the call he put forth that would impact John in a way that was very unique and unlike any of the other disciples. And from here, from this call, John would drop everything and go on to follow Jesus over the next three years of his ministry. I want you to understand that John was with Jesus through the highs and the lows. He was not just around when Jesus was doing miracles, but he was there when Jesus would go to solitary places. He traveled with Jesus not only through mountains, but through valleys. He walked with Jesus through villages and deserts. He was there to see the blind miraculously receive their sight. And he saw those lame from birth, touched by Jesus, walk and take their first steps. John, not through someone else, but through his own eyes. A man watched as Jesus would raise the dead back to life. He was there when Jesus, with just a few pieces of bread and fish, fed 5,000 people. John was standing on the boat when Jesus would speak peace to storms, and he saw Jesus calm the raging seas. John was there as Jesus would masterfully navigate through the traps and the questions of the highly educated Pharisees and Sadducees. John prayed with Jesus. He fasted with Jesus. He wept with Jesus. Through it all, John would be by his side, and through it all, he would be with Jesus. He, over the course of time, developed a deep love with Jesus, a bond that could not be broken. And so strong was this love that John had for Jesus that it would become the driving characteristic in which John would be labeled. He would be known by the disciples and countless others as John the Beloved. Now, I do want to stop for a moment and say, although this is how John is known, it does not mean this is how John has always been. Mark chapter 3, as Jesus begins to ordain the 12 disciples, the Bible tells us that he surnames John and his brother James the sons of of thunder. 
Now, there are differing opinions amongst biblical scholars and theologians as to why they were named the Sons of Thunder, but the consensus generally is because these brothers, when first following Jesus, were known for being hotheads with very quick tempers. You can further understand this when you see their reaction to Samaria not accepting Jesus in Luke chapter 9, verse 54, where the Bible tells us that John and James turned to Jesus and asked, Wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? But somehow, some way, from this angry, vengeful son of thunder, John would become John the Beloved, a man defined by the love he had for Jesus and others. And as you read through scripture, you'll realize the only reason John went from anger to love, watch this, was that he spent time with Jesus and spent time in his presence. And this isn't what I came to preach this morning, but let me tell you over 2,000 years later, spending time in the presence of God still makes all the difference. Amen. Don't let the Easter suit fool you. Amen. Don't let the dainty jewel dress fool you. I wish I had about 20 people that would stand and testify this morning that I don't look like what I've been through. Help me. Come on, somebody. Stand up and declare. Don't let my current state cause you to believe that I've always had it together. But all over this house, there are testimonies of people who used to be addicted to alcohol and addicted to marijuana and addicted to cocaine, fornicators with no hope, busted and dejected. And the only thing that changed was that you've been with Jesus. You spent time in his presence, and it began to do a work where nothing else will work. It began to do a work, amen, where the counselors didn't help. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. Somebody ought to declare, I'm thankful I've been in his presence. I'm thankful he touched me. I'm thankful he washed me. Amen. I wonder if there's someone in the house that's still thankful, amen, for the day that Jesus called you. Amen. Because when Jesus came in, amen, depression went out. And when Jesus came in, fear went out. And when Jesus came in, hate was replaced by love. And when Jesus came in, amen, sorrow was replaced by joy. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but you ought to be thankful that when Jesus came in, your mourning was replaced by dancing. Woo! Woo! Hey, Hey, you can act like you've always been perfect, amen, if you want. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 11, after talking about fornicators and talking about adulterers, it says, such were some of you, amen, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of the Lord our God. Come on, somebody it has nothing to do with me. It's all because I've been with Jesus. It's all because I got in his presence. It's all because I took a step of faith and I walked out, amen, changed. I walked out different than the way that I came in. Amen. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house to proclaim to a visitor today, amen, you're going to walk out different than you came in. You might have come in with a lot of baggage. You might have come in, whoo, come on, somebody help me preach. You might have come in with depression. You're going to walk out freed by the power of the name of Jesus. Somebody's going to change from a son of thunder to someone who's being characterized by the love in which they have for Jesus. Amen. You see this, if you allow me, amen, I'm not going to chase every rabbit hole, praise God. Amen. But, but, but you see this in Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4, where Peter and John healed the lame man. They said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. This wasn't met with rejoicing. Bible tells us that they were thrown into jail. And when the accusers demanded an answer, 
The Bible tells us that Peter and John preached, amen, with such anointing that in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, the Bible says that when their oppressors, amen, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Amen. Let me tell you why that makes me excited. And I never went to college. Amen. Come on. I don't, I don't have a diploma on the wall. Amen. But when you step into something supernatural, you can be unlearned and people will begin to marvel. Amen. Something's different about, not because of my education and not because of my last name, not because of my intellect, but all for the fact that I've been with Jesus. I come to preach to somebody today. Amen. You might not have the great last name. You might come from a broken home. You might not have had both parents, amen, to raise you, but if you get with Jesus, if you get in his presence, God will lay an anointing on your life that will change you forevermore. Come on, there's preachers in the house. There's singers in the house. There's Bible study teachers in the house. Amen. Let me preach to somebody today that everything Carson City needs for revival is in these four walls. Amen. Because if we're not careful, we'll begin to pray, God, bring in musicians. Amen. Bring in preachers. Bring in singers. I'm telling you, you need to realize what you have. You just need to get in the presence of Jesus and let him put a calling on your life. Let him put a calling on your children's life. Moses stood in the presence of Jesus. He said, how can you use me? Jesus looked at him and said, what's in your hand? What he was saying is, it, you, it doesn't require anything that you don't already possess for me to use you. But Moses, you got to realize that a rod is not just a rod when I'm involved. And what I'm saying is there's potential in these rows and in these pews. If someone will wake up and realize it's not much, but in the hand of Jesus, it becomes something. Amen. Everything you need is in these walls. You just got to get with Jesus and get in his presence and allow God to begin to work on your heart and begin to work on your mind. Amen. I'm not just talking to the adults. I'm talking to the children. Amen. I was only six years old when God filled me with the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, there's nothing that's too hard for God to do. There's nothing that God... There's nothing that God can't do. Amen. I just feel for a moment to pause right here and begin to preach it. Amen. And push back until it's louder than the voice of the devil in your ears. And it's louder than the voice of this world in your ears. Until you begin to believe what this preacher is saying today. That God can use you. God can use you. God can put his hand on your life. Come on. You can lay hands on the sick and they recover. You can lay hands on some. Come on. You don't got to be at church. You can get the Holy Ghost in your home. You can pray. You can pray people through in parking lots when you realize it's not about me, but it's about Jesus. It's not about me, but I've been with someone great. Come on, clap your hands, all you people, and shout out to God with the voice of triumph. And so, John not only would become John the Beloved, but he also had the privilege to be a part of the inner circle of disciples along with James and Peter. This was significant because this shows that John knew Jesus better than most of the disciples. Because although all 12 would walk with Jesus, the inner circle of James, John, and Peter were privileged to experience things that the other disciples would not. Only these three disciples would stand on the mount during the transfiguration of Jesus. Only these three were allowed to be present at the raising of Jairus' daughter. And so the picture you're seeing here of John is showing you a closeness that was uncommon even amongst Jesus' most loyal followers. I say that to say this, if anyone knew Jesus, John knew Jesus. He knew his voice, and he would forever be characterized by the love that he had for Jesus. And so John's love and closeness to Jesus is even clearly seen at the Last Supper. The Bible tells us that as Jesus begins to reveal the one who would betray him, that the disciple who Jesus loved lay on his bosom. 
And as Jesus heads to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray before the darkest moment of his life, it is John along with Peter and James that God calls to to come a little further and pray with him. Although John loved Jesus, he was not perfect. John would fall asleep with the rest of the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the unthinkable would happen. As Jesus is betrayed, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 26, verse 56, that all the disciples, even John the Beloved, would forsake him. It is here where we reach the story that's most commonly preached on Easter Sunday. Jesus is held captive and sentenced to die on a cross. An innocent man was beaten viciously. The Bible tells us that Jesus was wounded and that he was whipped, that he was mocked, and that he was spat upon. He had a crown made of thorns shoved onto his head. The Bible tells us that they pierced his side with the spear. They made him drink from a cup of gall. And he was bruised not for something that he had done, but for our transgressions. Yet through it all, Jesus hung there with his hands and feet nailed to the cross. Not only that, but with the ability to call down legions of angels, he stayed in agonizing pain for you and I. Amen. Forsaken by all of his disciples, humiliated and rejected, Matthew was gone. James was gone. Andrew was nowhere to be found. Each disciple allowed condemnation and fear to keep them from Jesus as he hung on a tree, breathing his last breath. But the Bible tells us that when Jesus looks down from the cross, that there was one disciple that although he had forsaken Jesus, he worked his way back to the cross. There was one who, although he had compromised just like everybody else, fought through the condemnation and guilt he must have surely felt to make his way back to the Savior. The Bible says in John chapter 19, verse 26, that the one disciple that found his way back to the foot of the cross was John the Beloved. The disciples whose, whose main attribute was characterized by the love he had for Jesus and the love that Jesus had for him in return. Amen. Hear me today. It was love that worked its way through compromise and humbly dragged itself back to Calvary that day. Amen. Peter was bold. Amen. But it wasn't recorded that Peter was there as Jesus hung on the cross. All the other disciples were nowhere to be found. Amen. But it was love that made its way back to the cross. Amen. Amen. Let me stop here and encourage someone. Amen. That love will find a way. Come on. So I said love will find a way. That's why it's important that you make sure you truly love Jesus. That when you say, I love you, Jesus, it's not just words, but it's backed up with action. Amen. Because love will find a way when there is no way. Love, no matter what happens, will always find its way back to the master. I'm telling you, there's great men of God who've lived for Jesus, and they had walked away, but there was something in their heart that couldn't get rid of them. There was something in their heart, amen, that even when they were in their drunken stupor said, I got to get up from where I am and I got to make it back to the master because when love's in your heart, come on, it'll pick you up out of where you're from and it'll lead you straight to the cross. I, I, is there anybody that loves Jesus? Is there anybody that loves Jesus? Woo! Woo! Come on, I don't want to sing I love you, Jesus, on Sunday, but Monday I've lost all power and all authority. Love changes things. Love makes you act different. Love makes you walk different. Love makes you take it seriously. Love makes a covenant between you and God. And I'm preaching to someone today, you need to get this love of Jesus in your heart. You got to get this love of Jesus until you love Jesus more than you love fornication. Until you love Jesus, amen, more more than you love sin. Come on, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Amen. Love is so important. Amen. That in 1 Corinthians 13, the Bible says, even if you speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, speaking of love, that you become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. 
Bible even says if you have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though you have all faith that you could remove mountains, if you have not charity, you have nothing. Amen. It says even if you feed the poor and you give your body to be burned, if you have not charity, it profiteth you nothing. Amen. Let me tell somebody about love. The Bible says that love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave itself unseemly. And it says now abideth faith, hope, and charity. But of these three, the greatest there is is charity. I want to speak to somebody today. Amen. I feel this in the Holy Ghost to tell somebody, amen, you can climb the greatest mountain, you can get the biggest platform, but if you don't have the love of Jesus in your heart, it's all for nothing. Because there's too many, we live in a social media age, and there's too many people, amen, that want likes and clicks and views, amen, but you got to have the love of Jesus in your heart. I was talking with your pastor, amen, last night. There's something about when someone truly loves the word of God, uh, it's transmitted. Hear me, young preacher, you want to be used of God. You want to be effective. You need to get a love for the word of God more than you have a love for a microphone. You need to get a love for Bible study more than you get a love of sermonizing. Uh, come on, I'm talking about getting in love with Jesus. Uh, I'm talking about falling in love with Jesus because uh, there's too many of our young people falling to the wayside uh, because they didn't develop a true love for Jesus. But it's love that even when you stumble and you fall, amen, rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, for I will arise. You know what's going to make you rise? A love going to bring you back to the house of God. I'm talking about when someone close to you that you love passes away and you begin to question everything and everyone. Uh, there's going to be a love that is so sure, amen, that it navigates you right back into the presence of God. Uh, I'm telling you that love is going to keep you. Uh, true love is going to keep you uh, serving God even when your world is upside down and even when you're in the storm. Amen. Love is going to keep you grounded and obedient to your pastor. Amen. Even when there's voices that are, it doesn't take, I'm preaching to someone today, amen, I'm preaching real good right now, hear me, God loves you and you need to love him, it's going to anchor you through every season of life, <laughs> clap our hands and give God the glory, amen, and I, I'm moving quickly, and so Jesus would establish here at the cross that his mother would now be John's mother, and from that day John took her in as his own. From here, we know how Jesus would die and be buried and rise again on the third day. And it would be John along with Peter in John chapter 20 who would walk into the tomb where Jesus was laying, look at the grave clothes, and believe that Jesus had resurrected. Jesus would go on to show himself to the disciples, and John would be among them that were initially filled with the Holy Ghost. John would be a major factor in helping to shape the culture and establish the early church. He'd be with Peter when the lame man was healed, as we mentioned, and he continued to be an integral part, amen, of Christian leadership moving forward. But it is here where we reach our text and the heart of what I want to preach to you, where we find that there was a major problem that was going on at the time that John would pen the book of 1 John. There was a heretical set of false doctrines spreading rapidly throughout the ancient world and creeping into the church called Gnosticism. Gnosticism taught that Jesus had no real human body and that flesh was inherently evil. Essentially, in simpler words, what they were saying and what they believed is that Jesus never could have had a human body because he would have never dwelt in a sinful tabernacle. And this was dangerous because it would completely destroy the gospel and the core tenets of the church. If God had not robed himself in flesh, died, and been resurrection, then that would mean that there is no salvation for the church. And as Gnosticism began to swirl, it was drastically affecting the church. One of the reasons it was having such an effect, hear me, watch this, was because the original disciples who were there and experienced the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ had all died or been martyred. They couldn't stand up and defend the truth because they had already passed off the scene. But there was a man named John, the beloved, who sat in Ephesus, who now was 90 years old. 
A man, it was said, they tried to martyr by throwing him into a vat of hot oil to which he came out unscathed. A man who had endured isolation on the lonely Isle of Patmos, a rocky prison without walls. A man who in this place of despair would pen one of the greatest, most prophetical books we have in scripture, the book of Revelation. Amen. I'm preaching to you that John was literally the last eyewitness. And as Gnosticism began to spread throughout the world, John did not sit idly by, but he picked up his pen and began to write to the church that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, uh, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. Uh, why was John making it abundantly clear that he had been there? What is John saying? Uh, what John was saying is I know that there is false doctrine that's sweeping the land, uh, and I know and understand that the church is in a vulnerable state, uh, but I'm going to pick Pick up the pen because I'm the last eyewitness. You see, you can't tell me that Jesus isn't real. And you can't tell me that Jesus didn't come in human form. Why? Because I've seen him. I was there. I touched him, and I walked with him, and I seen the miracles. I was there at the foot of the cross as Jesus bled and died, and I'm writing to bear witness that he rose up from the dead. And now I'm going to show you the way to eternal life. Amen. I'm preaching to you today that John was the last eyewitness going against what was coming at the church. And I want to present to you and take a moment to preach to the church and the members of ARC that in the same manner we need to be the last eyewitness to our families and to our communities. Because even thousands of years later, there are still false doctrines floating out there that are not of God. There are still ideologies in our society that are not of God. And what we need more than ever before in this last days is not just someone who's going to speak to save people, but someone who will get out, amen, and begin to be the last eyewitness and begin to stick. It's my prayer that by the end of this sermon, there's some last eyewitnesses that arise in Carson City uh, that rise up uh, and say, you can't tell me that Jesus isn't real. Why? Because he changed my life. Uh, because he set me free. Uh, because he broke the chains. Uh, he healed my mind. Uh, and he healed my body. Uh, he, he saved my family. Uh, and he touched my children. I wonder if anyone can feel that burden. Uh, we need some last eyewitnesses. We don't know. We don't need people who are content in their own salvation. We don't need people who are content to sit on a pew all the days of their life uh, and never affect someone outside of themselves. Let me tell you something. If you don't pray for your family, no one will. If you don't reach for your family, no one will. No one can pray for your children like you can pray for your children. No one can pray for your church like you can pray for your church. Come on, I'm preaching to someone right now. You need to rise up and be the last eyewitness and say, I'm going to declare the goodness of God because I've seen it and I felt it and I know it. And God is still pouring out his spirit today. Come on, let's clap our hands and give God the glory. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody, I'm preaching to you right now. Amen. This world needs to know that God still heals cancer. There's some drug addicts that need to hear that God still heals you if you're addicted to fentanyl. Come on, God is bigger and God is greater. We need some Johns to rise up. We need some eyewitnesses to rise up and begin to reach their world and say, God picked me up off of a bar stool and God can pick you up. God delivered me from drugs and God can deliver you. God... I'm preaching that we need some last eyewitnesses, some people who could stand and say, I felt the Holy Ghost. I know it, and God can pour out his spirit in your life. Because if John wouldn't have picked up the pen, Gnosticism would have spread. But it's hard to deny someone who's seen it with their own eyes. It's hard to deny someone who's felt it for themselves. And I'm preaching to some saved people. We've become so familiar with the presence of God, amen, that we forget what it was like when we didn't have that. We forget what it was like, 
amen, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago before we had Jesus. Can I tell you, amen, I was a young person when I got the Holy Ghost, amen, but God touched a mother, my mother, amen, who was suicidal, amen, who would have ended everything if it wasn't for a God, amen, that began to prophesy through a man of God to speak to her and tell her there's a spirit that can fill you and can cure that loneliness and cure that depression. I'm preaching to someone right now. Come on, you wouldn't be here if there wasn't a last eyewitness. You wouldn't be here if someone hadn't told you about the goodness of God. I've, I've come to preach to somebody today. I've seen it. I've tasted the goodness of God, and it's time to tell somebody else. It's time to take it out of these walls. It's time to... It's time for someone to be the last eyewitness because the Holy... Hear me. The Holy Ghost wasn't given to you so you could have stammering lips and be content with your own salvation. The Holy Ghost was not given to you Amen. So you can enjoy your personal salvation while everybody else is lost. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus even told the disciples why the Holy Ghost was going to be poured out, he said, you will receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be witnesses unto me. The same Holy Ghost that causes you to speak in tongues is the same Holy Ghost that empowers you to be a witness. The same Holy Ghost, amen, that pour, that's poured out on you causes you to rise up and do something with the world that's lost and dying and going to hell. I'm preaching to some saved people right now. It's time to be a witness. It's time to be a witness. Does anybody feel what I feel? It's time to be a witness to a world that's lost and dying. Amen. And this is the message we need to be spreading. We have to be the last eyewitness. We need to be the last eyewitness to a lost and dying. Can we lift our hands and pray for just a moment? Can you lift your voice and help me pray all over this house? Hallelujah. 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 <laughs> Amen. Amen. I've, I've been preaching for 30 minutes. Praise God. I have my clock here. Amen. Can I have, can I have 10 more minutes? Amen. Amen. I, I'm going to shift here. I told you from the offset of the sermon that my goal today was not to preach a masterpiece. My goal is to reach for those who have never received the Holy Ghost. I'm going to shift a little this morning because we've talked to the church and we've talked to members of the church. But now I want to teach and preach directly to all of our friends and families and guests, even those watching online who have yet to experience the resurrecting power of the Holy Ghost. Because it would be a shame if on this Easter Sunday, the only day out of the year that most people come to church, if all that happened was that you were retold the Easter story once again. That you read through the verses, amen, you showed up to church, you made your parents happy, amen, you showed up and you left unchanged. But for the next little bit, amen, I want to serve as the last eyewitness to you and tell you that you need to leave today not just reminded of a story, but you need to leave today experiencing the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hear me, if this, if this is your first time, amen, in a church, amen, you're not going to get this preaching at any other church in this area. You're not going to get this preaching at anywhere else. But there's an apostolic church who says, you don't need to just know the story. You need to experience the story. You don't need to just know about it. You got to feel it. You got to experience it. And that, yes, even in the 21st century, you still have to identify with Christ. That it takes more than a sinner's prayer. And it takes more than accepting Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And to all, amen, who would deem what I'm about to teach and say, as unnecessary, amen, I'm only going to serve as the last eyewitness, and I'm not going to tell you anything that I can't back up in the Bible. I'm not going to share anything that I have not personally experienced myself. What I want to share with you for the next few moments and close this sermon on are things that I've seen with my own eyes, things that I've experienced personally, and things that God is still doing today. Because we can't just leave having the resurrection in our mind, but we need to get the resurrection in our heart. 
Is that okay with somebody today? Can I be the last eyewitness to our visitors? Save people, saints. Can I be the last eyewitness to our visitors? And I know you've heard it a thousand times, but God is about to fill somebody with the Holy Ghost. God is about to change somebody's life. God is about to set someone free. Amen. Come, I need some saved people to back me up while I preach this. Amen. First, visitor friend, you need to identify with the death of Jesus. What that means is that our flesh, which is carnal or worldly in our nature, must be crucified and it must die. You say, well, well how can my flesh be crucified? I just scared off all the visitors. They're ready to run. I, you're saying I got to be crucified? Praise God. Amen. You do this through repentance. Repentance is turning away from. In the military, when you say repent, soldiers will do a 180 degree turn. It means I'm going in the opposite direction from where I've been going. That means if you haven't been living for God, when you repent, that means I turn away from friends and influences and things that are not living for Jesus. And I'm going to start walking towards heavenly places. It means you turn away from the dark and you begin to walk towards the light. Amen. Repentance, amen, is forsaking your carnal nature and the sin you used to partake of. When you repent, you die out to sin. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, it says, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. In Acts chapter 17, verse 30, the Bible says that in times of ignorance, God winked at sin, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And Luke chapter 13 and verse 3 tells us, uh, I tell you, nay, but except, hear me, except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And so, how do you know if you truly repented? It's very simple. You no longer con continue doing the things you used to do. Because if you crucify something, it's dead. And you can no longer live the way that you used to. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So basically what the writer is doing is he's telling us we can't continue sinning so that God's grace continues to be poured out. Amen. That means there's not once saved, always saved. But once we're dead, it's impossible to continue sinning. Romans chapter 6, verse 6, knowing this, that our old man, talking of our carnal nature, our sinful nature, is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. And so it, when you repent of your sins, what you're doing is identifying with the death and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. After you identify with the death of Jesus Christ, you now need to be buried with Jesus through baptism. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 through 4. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You see, when you've been baptized in Jesus' name, you are identifying with the burial of Jesus Christ. And hear me, amen, in spite of everything you've heard, baptism is essential for salvation. Hear me, the Bible tells us we're not promised tomorrow. If you are here under the sound of my voice today and you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, you ought to be baptized in Jesus' name today. Today. I wouldn't wait for tomorrow. I wouldn't wait for my family to fly in from across. Amen. Today is the day of salvation. If you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. Because 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, is this all right? 1 Peter 3.21 says, The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. The Bible says baptism doth also now save us. Not because of the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. What's that saying is, amen, it's not because of the water that you're cleaning your flesh. But it's the answer of a good conscience toward Jesus Christ. Mark 16, verse 16 says, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. Meaning, if you are not baptized, it's not a good thing, praise God. 
Amen. This lets me know that if I want to be saved, I need to identify with the burial of Jesus Christ through baptism in the only saving name of Jesus. Because Acts 4.12 tells us that neither is there salvation in any other name. For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What that means, if you're here today and you were baptized in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, you need to be baptized in the name. Praise God. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are titles. They are not names. Amen. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a preacher. I'm an electrician. Amen. No, I can't help you in your house. Praise God. Amen. Amen. I'm a, I'm a grandson. I'm a great-grandson. But I have a name. My name is Brandon. Amen. And so if you want to be baptized in the name, you need the name of the Father. You need the name of the Son. You need the name of the Holy Ghost. You know what Jesus said? Because a lot of people were getting confused. Who is Jesus and who is the Father? Is Jesus the Son? Is Jesus the Father? He said, have I been with you so long you haven't known? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Amen. There's no other name among which you must be saved. If you were baptized in the titles Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, you could get baptized in Jesus' name today. You could go down in Jesus' name today and have all your sins washed away. What does that mean? Everything you did before you walked in here will be forgiven, and it will be washed, and it will be tra it'll transform your life. There's almost no greater thing than being baptized in the name of Jesus. From here, the verse tells us that like Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. What this is letting us know is that after you're baptized in Jesus' name, now you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Because it would be no good for you to be baptized and have your sins forgiven, yet still have a carnal nature, amen, that is not able to walk in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The whole point of Jesus going away was so that now he could put his spirit in you. In the Old Testament, they sacrificed animals for forgiveness of sin, but Jesus died once and for all for our sins. Now we don't have to sacrifice animals, uh, amen, because the law, which was carnal, and the law, which was an outward thing, now it was being put inside of your heart. Instead of following an external set of laws, uh, amen, that so every time Israel would sacrifice, it was a reminder that they had messed up again that they were not able to obtain righteousness on their own. And so now they needed the Spirit of God, amen, not to descend, amen, on the Ark of the Covenant, but they needed the Spirit of God in their heart so that now it's the Spirit of God that's empowering me to walk in righteousness. We can't walk in righteousness if we don't have the Holy Ghost because the Bible says that in our flesh is no good thing. Amen. You need the Holy Ghost today. John chapter 3, verse 5 says, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man be born of water, there's baptism, and of the Spirit, that's the Holy Ghost, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Acts 2.39, when speaking about the Holy Ghost, does not tell us that the Holy Ghost was only for the disciples in that time. The Bible tells us the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. What am I saying? If God can fill me with the Holy Ghost, God can for sure fill you with the Holy Ghost. This isn't just for a select group of people, but the Bible says it's for whosoever will. If you want the Holy Ghost, God can fill you with the Holy Ghost today. Through Romans 6, we see the writer likening the resurrection of Christ to the Holy Ghost because the man that was dead and buried is now raised to newness of life because it takes the Spirit of God to resurrect something that's dead. So when you're baptized and you're, you're dead to sin and you're buried, it takes the Spirit of God to raise you up to walk into newness of life. That's the Holy Ghost. But the, only the Holy Ghost and the Spirit of God can resurrect that which is dead. And if God didn't resurrect himself, the, dead would have, the death would have been for naught. But in resurrecting, he won power over death, hell, and the grave. And even so, with God's spirit filling us, we gain the power needed to resurrect and walk in newness of life. This death, this burial, and resurrection formula can be clearly seen throughout the book of Acts. I want you to know, amen, because a lot of times people stop at the resurrection. But Jesus did stuff after he resurrected. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 that he showed himself for about 40 days to the disciples, teaching them things pertaining to the kingdom of God and instructing them to go to the upper room and wait for the promise of the Father. 
Amen. And so I want you to understand this on Acts 2 when they were filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. They were acting on the instructions of Jesus Christ. And then what happened, he began to tell them how the person they crucified was the Son of God. And the Bible tells us in Acts 2.37, when they realized and understood that they had crucified Jesus Christ, God manifested in the flesh, that they were pricked in their heart. They were convicted. They felt bad about the things that they did. uh, And they they wondered, what did they have to do to be saved? And Peter stood up in Acts 2.38 and said, you need to repent of your sins and be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sins, and ye shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. Essentially connecting the death, the burial, and resurrection in one formula. You need to repent. You need to be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. Let's all stand all over the house. Now, there's an exhaustive amount of scriptures and examples I can give you today showing you the importance and the absolute necessity of repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. I'm sure even as I was was saying it, there's there's saved people all over the house. What about this one? What about that one? Praise God. There's all kinds of scriptures that back up this teaching. We'd be here all day, but we went through all of this to let you know if there's anything you should take home from Easter. It's not a story that you've heard before and leave the same way you came because there's a lot of people that come and hear, amen, about the death, the burial, and resurrection, and they leave still addicted to drugs, still addicted to pornography, still addicted, amen, to, to alcohol, still addicted to fornication. But what I'm, what I'm teaching you today is something that has changed my life because the Holy Ghost, amen, took a boy, amen, that struggled with seeing value in himself, amen, and let me know that I was loved and that I was forgiven. The Holy Ghost, amen, if I I pass this mic, amen, to some of our elders today, they can testify and testify of the goodness of Jesus Christ. And what what I want you to understand, you might be here today, you never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, and on the outward you can say, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm happy, but in reality you know, only you know, When the lights turn off and you lay your head down to sleep at night, that there's a discontentness on the inside of your heart. There's tears that you cry yourself to sleep at night. Amen. There's thoughts of suicide. There's there's, there's feelings of, uh, of unworth. You can't love yourself because you never had parents that showed you love. Parents who were supposed to raise you up in the right way, they abused you and mistreated you. I'm preaching to you today. I feel the Holy Ghost. Can I have some saints begin to intercess right now? There's a God who loves you. And I'm telling you, the moment you feel his presence in your heart, it's going to change everything. It's going to change everything. And I want want to just share this with somebody because perhaps you've been to a service and a church and you heard that all you need to do is believe. I'm going to share these last scriptures with you to help you before we pray. And the Holy Ghost is going to fall in this place. In Acts chapter 19 and verse 1, the Bible tells us that when Paul was at Corinth, he found certain disciples, and he watched this. He said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? What that means is believing does not give you the Holy Ghost. He asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, we have not even heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, what? were you baptized unto? And they said unto John's baptism. Then Paul said, John verily baptized at the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. What is this saying? They were baptized incorrectly, and the prophet, the apostle, showed them the proper way to be baptized. When they heard this, watch this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. I don't believe I'm speaking to a bunch of people who are bad people. I don't believe I'm speaking to a bunch of people, amen, who, who, are, who are lawless and rogue. Well, I'm telling you, I'm talking to some people who believe in Jesus Christ. But you have a preacher here who's showing you today a more excellent way. I'm telling you, if you believed in Jesus Christ, today is a good day to be baptized in Jesus' name and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Today is a good day for your life to be changed forevermore. 
I want you to leave here understanding, God, thank you for the death, the burial, and the resurrection. But now I want to experience the death and the burial and the resurrection for, my, for myself. Today I'm preaching to those that are tired of depression, tired of anxiety, tired of stress, tired of fear, tired of feeling unloved, and tired of feeling unappreciated, tired of feeling like you have nothing to offer the world. A person that always feels and makes statements that I feel like a part of me is missing. The Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. There's a creator who made you for a distinct purpose. And until you come in contact with that savior, you'll never feel like you're enough. You'll never feel like you're, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing in life. Now I want to tell you these altars are about to open and I want you to come down here and receive the Holy Ghost. Hear me today. If you believe that you can receive the Holy Ghost, God will fill you with his spirit today. I want you to come to the front, and I want you to begin to repent of all of your sins. We're not doing something that's mystic. We're doing something that's written in the word of God. If you want the Holy Ghost, I want you to, uh, I want you to come. I want you to come down to this front, and I want you to begin to lift your hands, and God is going to fill you with his spirit today. I'm telling you, you're going to walk out of here changed, and somebody needs to make the decision. I want to be baptized in Jesus. Jesus name because it's not, it's not fair that he died for me but I didn't die it's not fair that he was buried and I don't get buried it's not fair amen that he resurrected and I'm not resurrected today God is going to fill you with this spirit I need the saints to begin to pray all over this house come on let's pray that the that the Holy Ghost begins to descend down in this house lift your hands lift your voice all over this house God is about to pour out his spirit come on every eye closed every hand lifted Every hand lifted. Right now, the Holy Ghost is about to work. Nothing but the blood. 